Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm glad that you joined me today. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and today we have a very special guest, Miss Mary Jones, who I have had a, the pleasure to get to know her, um, although it's been under unfortunate circumstances. She is a uh, sexual abuse uh, counselor, and I, in my practice, um, unfortunately, just because of of the way things are in America, I do end up having to refer a few patients to her that need her counseling. But on first meeting her, I was always just um, amazed and um, just uh, overcome by just what a warm, beautiful person she is. And so I wanted her to share her wisdom and what she's learned over the years. So Mary, please introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. All righty. Thank you, Dr. Baki. Uh, my name is Mary Jones, and as Dr. Baki said, I am a sexual assault victim advocate at Southside Survivor Response Center, which is located in Martinsville. My main role in this position is to help and assist sexual assault victims. I accompany them to Rocky Mount, Virginia for forensic exams. I go with them to the law enforcement for questioning. I go to the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Whatever they need, I'm there for them. More importantly, I am there for them emotionally because sexual assault can really, really affect the mentality of someone. It's really rough. So how did you get interested in this field? I mean, did you leave uh, college and this was what you wanted to work in or did you kind of stumble into it somehow? Well, I did not stumble into it. Um, <laughs> one of the things that really happened to me was when I was 10 years old, I was inappropriately touched by my mm -hmm. mother's favorite uncle. Um, mm -hmm. I was afraid to tell. I didn't think my mother would believe me and I had no one to talk to. Unlike today, we did not have services like that back then. So people just kept their mouth shut. Yes. And uh, as I grew older, I moved to New York and living in New York, I had a friend um, a block away from me. We went to church, came home one Sunday. I dropped her off at her house and I went home. By the time I got in, my phone was ringing. She had been raped in her elevator. Um, oh my God. Yes, she had been raped in her elevator. Uh, her family lived in New Orleans, so she was there in New York by herself. So I was the person that went to her, called the ambulance, went with her, and went through everything with her. And I saw how much she suffered. And I saw the, you know, her her whole 
demeanor changed after that. Uh, even then, um, there were no one that came around and said, well, we can help you or you can talk to us or whatever. So moving right along, I came back to uh, Danville where I live and um, I got a job in the Danville Regional Medical Center. I worked in the um, emergency room as a supervisor in a non-clinical area. So I started seeing a lot of victims come in who had been had been sexually assaulted. Um, I saw a lot of victims come in in the emergency room. Sometimes they had families with them and sometimes they were by themselves. So I saw the need for, you know, being an advocate, but I didn't even know where to get started. Uh, I eventually took early retirement from the hospital and went back to school. I got my MBA. Uh, just as I was finishing that, I started looking over the credentials and I saw that I could get a, a master's in human services. And I knew that would lead me in the direction that I wanted to go. So I stayed in school, uh, worked part-time, and I got that master's in human services. God was really watching over me because right before I graduated, there was a job that was advertised in the paper for a part-time sexual assault victim advocate in Lynchburg, Virginia. I applied for that job, and I did get it. My role was to open up an office in Danville. Uh, which I did. They had never had anyone there like that. Um, it was booming. It was amazing. I hit the streets. I what, let everybody know. I'm sorry. Just to, what year was that? Just so we kind of have an idea of how. It was about seven years ago. Okay. Just about seven years ago. Yeah. About 2000. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, no. I just, I want the listeners to understand, um, you know, the the trajectory and and how things are changing, but change is slow. So you were part of a a, a team that opened um, a survivor counselor office in Danville, and tell us how 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 that went. That went very well. I had a lot of coverage. Uh, Channel thirteen came out twice. Um, the newspaper wrote up about it. And people were happy to have an advocate in Danville. And they showed that when I did my first support group, I had like over 16 people there. And that's a lot of people for a support group. Um, it was very busy. Uh, I wasn't responsible for Danville, uh, Pennsylvania County, and Halifax County. And in the first year, I saw like 76 uh, victims. So it shows that it was very well needed there. As in as much as it was needed, the grant ran out in two years so oh. yes it did the grant ran out but god is always watching out for me so something told me to call martinsville because i did some volunteer work here once and uh, fortunately they told me that they did have an opening that had been open for two months i came in for the interview and i was hired in about 15 minutes um <laughs> that was five years ago <laughs> um I've been there ever since. I love it. Uh, I have a passion for what I do. Okay. So for listeners, you know, the, our listeners may be all across the state or even throughout the, the world, just so you understand where we are. So we're in Virginia, but we're not in the D.C. metro area, nor are we in the, uh, you know, Virginia Beach, larger city area. We are in a very small rural southern ca uh, 
County um, in the uh, southwestern area of Virginia. And um, in being here and having her discuss the ups and downs with getting funding, losing funding, finding opportunities, you know, being the support that uh, the victims so desperately need, that's how I ended up getting to meet Mary also. And she's educated me so much about what goes on in a smaller area. So tell me a little bit about um, human trafficking in in our little sleepy southern town. Because honestly, <laughs> when, we had, when we had this discussion, it was a surprise to me that it was going on even here. I think um, many listeners would probably be surprised because we see kind of stars like Ashton Kutcher and and uh, different people speaking out about it, and we know it exists. And there's even been, um, you know, I know around the Super Bowl time, they, there was a lot of advertisement. I happen to be in Atlanta um, right after the Super Bowl, and they still they had all of the things to look for to see if someone's a victim of human trafficking. How can you help stop human trafficking? So to come and talk with you and then you tell me that it's going on right here in our small little town. And when I say small, ladies and gentlemen, um, Martinsville City has approximately um, 15 to 17,000 people. And then the larger county, Henry County, has about 50,000 people. So we are talking about, um, you know, a very small area. But tell me what human trafficking looks like in a small rural area. Unfortunately, human traffic looks the same way in a big city as it does right here. I want to first just go into what human trafficking is. It's a criminal activity where people profit from control and exploitation of others. There are two kinds of human trafficking. There's sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, sex trafficking can occur anywhere. It can occur to happen to children and adults, all genders, citizens and non-citizens. It's a very unique crime because it is hard to identify, it's hard to investigate, and it's hard to prosecute. I did some uh, research today before I came over to Dr. Baki's office. The United States is the world's largest consumer of human trafficking. As of October of 18, there were 783 active criminal cases of human trafficking cases in the United States. And 35 of those cases in the state of Virginia. I have actually set in on three cases in Virginia within the last six months. Wow. Yeah, human trafficking is very pertinent here in Henry County and Martinsville and other er small areas. Just because it's small does not mean that it's not happening. In these areas where the houses are spread out, et cetera, it's much easier for um, someone, to, a trafficker to come in and get his business started. And um, so it is, it's very, very pertinent here in this area. So what does it look like so that people understand? Because as I said, we've had these discussions where you have opened my eyes and I want you to share with our listeners so that they, they know what it looks like. Because again, 
my experience with it had been, for example, in the Atlanta airport and the signs that they were telling you to look for. But most of that had to do with, you know, people traveling in the uh, airport. So obviously we don't have airport travel. Most of our travel is going to be in private cars. But so tell us, you know, what does it look like in Henry County? Like, who are the uh, the traffickers, like the people who are making money off of this? Who okay. are the people being trafficked? All right. I'd be happy to share that with you. Traffickers can be single or they can be in uh, multiples. They can be organized, just like organized crimes and criminals and gangs. A lot of the gang members are traffickers. Um, some of, as many people call them pimps. Uh, sometimes they can be family members. I've dealt with cases, one right here in Henry County, uh, where the mother um, trafficked her daughter out to the dope dealer so she could get dope. And she actually left her child there for several weeks so she could get her fix. So it's not not always a stranger. Sometimes it can be a family member. Uh, they seem to prey on foreigners, uh, runaways, homeless people, um, victims of sexual or domestic violence, those people that live in poverty, um, those that are desperate for an education or better jobs or a better lifestyle, uh, people that have um, emotional disorders, substance abuse, and mental illness. Those are the main people that the traffickers look out for. Because if you want that education or you want a better job, they promise you that. If, if mm-hmm. um, they tell that person or a young girl, okay, I can give you all that you have not had. And normally that per, unless they've been really taught at home not to go away with a stranger, they will take that chance just to get what they want. It's just like they tell them, well, we can take you to California or to Hollywood and you can become a movie star. And they believe that. And they treat them really nice and buy them nice gifts for the first few weeks. And then they start to tell them, if you love me that much, then you can sleep with my hus- my uh, friends, uh, my buddy, and we can get more money. So mm-hmm. they continue to, we call it go on a honeymoon. They keep them on a honeymoon. Um, and give them nice gifts and things, and that's how they get the um, the girls to do things that they want them to do. So in this small area, you mentioned, you know, I can make you a movie star. I can, you know, we can go to California. Are they, in general, taking the the children, the young people, out of this area, or are they just kind of, is that just a veiled promise and then... In some make- instances, and I'm going to say it's very few, they do. They will take some to Atlanta or South Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida is another spot. They will, but normally it, they end up working right around here. Okay. They, mm-hmm. And so basically, they're they become prostitutes. Um, yes. They're basically their bodies being sold to whoever. Right. The, the money, the cash, whatever transaction, mm-hmm. and all of that transaction goes to the 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 trafficker. Trafficker is the one who really makes the money. The mm-hmm. girls they get some money when they first get attached to the trafficker, but in the long run, he's the one that makes the money. 
Do we have much labor trafficking in this area, or is it mostly sexual traffic? It's mostly sexual trafficking. Okay. So you mentioned a wide swath of people, the poor, the the people who have uh, substance abuse problems, people who are just compromised. How do the traffickers um, get to know these people? How do they, or are they just so keen that they can target them easily? They can target them very easily because they go to places like the mall. The mall is one place that they really go. And they go on Saturday morning because that's when a lot of teenagers go to the mall. You see a bunch of girls in the mall, usually on a Saturday or late on a Friday evening. They go to the mall, big events that they have, uh, even something as simple as a fair or where they set up the rides at these little grocery stores and things like that. Anything like that. And sometimes they have people that work with them. Um, I knew a case where um, this girl was a friend to a trafficker and she worked a regular job. And this other girl from Puerto Rico got a job at that same place. And she started inviting this girl out. But what she was really doing was introducing her to the trafficker. And this girl went along with it and she got involved in it, but she did eventually get out in about a year. Some of them are lucky enough and fortunate enough to become survivors of sexual trafficking. So how do they, so, so you're lured in, you get, you know, some nice clothes, someone takes you out to dinner. Perhaps you think you're beginning a relationship with someone who's treating you well. Right. And then the relationship turns because maybe you've uh, consensually agreed to be sexually active with this person, but then, as you said, they continue to ply you with the nice things that you want that you don't have, and then when does once it's once basically you've been turned out once you've started sleeping with multiple people for um the in exchange for money, when does it uh, what keeps you there? Sometimes it's being threatened. Sometimes they will threaten you that you can't leave. I talked to a lady that was from California about three weeks ago, right here in, right here in Martinsville. And mm-hmm. she actually took that bus that I think they call it the Chinese bus out of New York or somewhere up there. She took yeah. that bus here because she had been threatened and she was so afraid and she had a baby and the guy was after her. And she's actually here, and I shouldn't even be saying this, but she's actually hiding out here in Martinsville. All the way from California? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because once they, they don't want them to get free because they can report them and, you know, they can eventually get in trouble. So once they get them, it's hard to get away. It's hard. And I, I know tell me about the success stories where you've met people. So you've told me about this one young lady. What are the success stories and how do they finally break out? Well, the main thing, one of the best ones that I have to tell, and I always tell this one, uh, there was this stewardess on a plane and she noticed this older gentleman who was very nicely dressed. And he had this young girl with him who her hair was very oily and she was shabby looking. And the stewardess just kept noticing it and she tried to make conversation with them. 
but the gentleman was very nasty to her, did not want her to talk or anything. So she saw the girl getting ready to go to the bathroom. The stewardess wrote a note and left it on the mirror so the young girl would see it. Mm -hmm. And yes, and the girl responded and said she was in help, in trouble and needed help. The stewardess got in touch with the pilot and when they landed, they rescued her. And I thought that was just, I just thought that was awesome. And it was awesome. I'm sorry. It was awesome. It's definitely, that is the, the uniqueness of human life that there's mm -hmm. always an opportunity to help someone if, if you, if you are vigilant, if you're looking around. And so, yeah, that, you know, you're telling me that and I'm just, it's goosebumps because she saved a life. Yes. And I understand that the airlines have had training sessions on looking for trafficking. And um, yes, that's I, what I was seeing all over the Atlanta airport. And again, that's why it made me feel like, oh, well, that's what's going on in Atlanta and New York and L.A. Right. In my small town. <laughs> yeah, but more people and more organizations need to be aware of sex trafficking because I have people ask me all the time that doesn't go in here does it yes it does yes it does but people don't know that I'm from Danville and our chief of police to, who's no longer there told us for years that we didn't have gangs and wow. and we have gangs we have trafficking we have all of it but so uh, a lot would, of people um, don't want to admit it what would you tell a parent so since you know what the signs look like. What what do the signs look like for um, for again rural America, small town America, suburban America, all of the places where people think this is not happening here? What are the signs that we might be able to look for? Is it is it is it just like the stewardess kind of looking for two people that? don't kind of look like they belong together? Or? Right, right. That's one of them, yes. Um, another sign that parents could look for, um, when the child comes home with expensive gifts, exactly. new phones, um, perfumes, flowers, that parents need to stay on top of what their children are doing. And um, one of the best things is, is to show that child that you love them uh, help them build their self-image and their confidence and treat them the way that you would want their future spouses to treat them. Help them to distinguish between real love and empty promises. Oh, that's strong. That's definitely strong. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so necessary because yes. in what you're saying, I also feel like so many of these people are forgotten and they're they're thrown away because many of them probably don't have a strong connection with their parents. Yes. And in one situation, I mean, you're basically saying the parent, because of drug abuse, basically gave her child to a, a trafficker because That's right. she needed to get high. Mm -hmm. So it is about embedding the, the self-esteem in your child and yes. and helping them to understand the difference between real love and what that looks like mm -hmm. and what empty promises look like. Right. So, um, along those lines, what are things that we can do 
um, again, with the signs, besides kind of, so you're looking for, if you're a parent, you're, you're making sure that if your child has a new phone, you knew, you know who gave it to them. Right. Um, and the same know, goes for clothes and jewelry and any expensive gifts, you know, that child shouldn't be walking in with a two or $300 watch when you have them on a, when they are getting an allowance of 10 or $15 a week, mm-hmm. you know. And then what um, would you say um, are other ways to advise parents to protect their kids? And then if they suspect it, you know, tell us about what makes it difficult to prosecute um, these situations. Okay. Uh, One of the other things that's uh, very important for parents is to actually talk to their children about sex trafficking. Um, Interesting. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. discuss ways that the children and teens are targeted. Let let the children know that there's traffickers out there looking for young girls or young guys. It doesn't matter what sex they are. Let them know that the traffickers specifically try to woo young girls and boys with promises of a better life, whether it's promises of love and attention or promises of something else that's very nice, maybe a trip, a vacation. These pimps look for ways to exploit dreams. And traffickers can be made up of females, classmates. You, ha- you never know. You just have to be careful. And sometimes traffickers use kids to recruit other kids. They do that with gangs also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talking to your children about the social media and paying attention to who they are talking to. And they're going to call you nosy and I'm grown, but no, you need to know what they are looking at. And if they're talking to someone on there, and there are programs and apps out here that you can get as parents that will show you who they are talking to and what they are saying. So if you suspect something and um, whether it be in your, with your own kids or um, with, uh, you know, some, something else you've seen in the community. What, how would you advise someone to to take the necessary steps? Because I can imagine the situation where um, you have this young girl. Or, uh, because again, I could uh, everything that you say is would be rampant down here because we don't have as many opportunities as a larger city. We are not economically advantaged. We are in this small rural area, overall economically disadvantaged. We have high unemployment. And so there are a lot of kids that are growing up in poverty here. And so for someone, this would be, you know, this would be a prime place for someone to set up empty promises. So what happens when your child kind of believes the empty promises and this person has given them things that you can't give them and and perhaps you feel like you're losing your child, what then? Well, I suggest talking to law enforcement or you can always call our office and we will intervene and help you with it. Um, I'll be happy to give you that number. It is 276-403. Four zero eight five. Uh, but getting in touch with law enforcement and letting them know how you feel is much better to it not be true than to ignore it and let it happen. 
Okay. Yeah. And, and then, uh huh. Once you contact the police, uh, what, you mentioned that it's difficult to prosecute. Why? Why is it difficult? Is it just kind of it, it begins to be just a statutory thing? Like, for example, if he was grooming a 16-year-old and he's actually 26, is that what? ends up being the charge statutory rape or is it just hard to prove that you had many different people sleep with this 16 year old well if that young lady or young guy or whoever it is is willing to talk it should not be a problem at all sometimes kids are afraid to talk sometimes their parents don't want them to talk i have an 11 year old here who was sexually abused by her cousin and the parents mm -hmm. rent their house from this cousin's father and they're not going to do anything about it they don't want to prosecute so there are many reasons sometimes people blame the police for not prosecuting but it's not always that case sometimes things were never reported sometimes people will not cooperate with the police to tell exactly what happened Okay. So again, I mean, I guess the, the bottom line with so much of these crimes and the the victims is just that really trying to build them up again after these things have happened. What, what's been your process for working with the victims after they've come to you? So for example, that 11-year-old who is not going to get to see justice done because there's an economic issue going on. Her right. parents are beholden to her attacker's wealth, family, position, etc. So right. he's not going to, he or she is not going to get thrown behind bars. How do you counsel that, that person? I let her know exactly how important she is. I have a little game that I play with the kids. Um, where I have them to use little funny faces if it's something that made them happy or something sad. And I I talk to them and find out what makes you sad? Why are you sad? Do you ever cry? Why do you cry? And once I find those things out, uh, I can really tell then where they need help. And a lot of it is self-esteem. A lot yeah. of that self-esteem is so low sometimes. And parents don't realize that children start getting that self-esteem. They develop that self-esteem from the time they were born and from the people they are around. Some, a lot of my victims from sexual assault have very low self-esteem. They think very little of themselves. They really do. And uh, to help them build their self-esteem and feel good about themselves, my reward is to help them feel better and move on with life. Okay. Yeah, you said so much, Mary, and I thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, and I hope that this helps someone to a recognize the signs if they see it in their own community, and really first and foremost to to understand that the the human trafficking sexual trafficking labor trafficking it knows no borders it doesn't um 
discriminate on race or class or age even. Um, and so it's so important to understand that, yes, it can happen in mm -hmm. my little neighborhood. Yes, it can happen in my little street. And I challenge each of us to be um, the, you know, to be that stewardess, to, to, yes. to be vigilant and noticing the people around us, not saying that you can help everyone, but to be connected and to be aware of what's going on around you, because you just never know your connection with that person could save a life because really and truly that's what happened. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.